Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,218 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visually weeping world, with me, Andy Zaltzman, the city where, if I open the door right now... On Tuesday, the 1st of February, 2022, you can still hear the echo of British democracy saying, what the f*** was that, and calling for its priest. Uh, Joining me to discuss this and all other news in the known universe this week, from Australia, Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. It's good to be back. And by Um, back, I mean uh, you've left. So we're at the correct distance <laughs> from one right. Yes, it's good to have reclaimed your country from the uh, um, the invasion of a of a lapsed Jew. Is that what you're saying, Alice? That sounds like what you're saying. I, it was not what I was saying, but take it as you like, Andy. Uh, actually, I was thinking the other day it was uh, it was sad that you weren't in this hemisphere anymore. So you have to do something to alienate yourself from my affections once more. All right. Okay, I'm quite. I'm quite good. I've got that's a that's a that's a natural skill set of the privately educated British man. Um, <laughs> also joining us uh, from uh, well, just north of me here in London, it's Tiffany Stevenson. Uh, Hello, hi, hi, hi. Tiff. Uh, I, I missed a, a solid two months of of winter as uh, <laughs> so I went to uh, watch England get humiliated at cricket. Um, how's uh, how's how's winter treated you? It's been all right. I mean, there was there was some of a, there was a little bit of a, there's a little bit of chilly weather over the last couple of days, but it hasn't been too too bad. I haven't yet. What I like to do is go down to Kenwood House and do some kind of uh, trying to skid down hills. I, I'm very ineffective at it, uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. And when it snows, it's kind of at that in between thing now, where I sort of like wish it would snow. So that we could have the proper snow weather rather than just absolutely freezing. Um, so yeah, hopefully some snow will come soon. And uh, but it is rude that you've actually gone and enjoyed some heat. Um, <laughs> I'm very very well, jealous. Yes, but me and heat don't really get on particularly well. I mean, Alice, you are as <laughs> a we record English man. <laughs> yes, uh, you are uh, using a, a a fan in uh, you know an impressively 18th century style. Uh, you said it's. Eighty percent humidity. Now I've never quite understood percent humidity because presumably a hundred percent is just water. Yes, that's just liquid water, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, this kind of level of humidity is where it's hot, and that's fine. It's fine. It's fine for it to be hot. Hot is nice. You can you can do things in the heat, but uh, humidity is is where you walk out and you're immediately just wet, just a hundred percent wet all over. You just you just you just moist. <laughs> There's no on, dignity. What you're describing is <laughs> there's no dignity. It's all just a range of other people's armpit stains. It's it, everyone right. wilts immediately. There's nothing that you can do except lie in the shade flaccidly and wait for something to take root. <laughs> uh, we are recording on the 1st of February 2022. It's February Quits Day, a new and much needed addition to our calendar to add to uh, April Fool's Day here in uh, in the UK. As always, a uh, section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, this week we have practice exam questions as uh, we build up towards the school exams uh, later in the summer. For, this is for any children growing up in the world. 
uh, as it is uh, today. A practice maths question is this. If Vladimir has amassed 120,000 troops on the Ukrainian border and in response, <laughs> Joe has placed one fourteenth of that number on alert and quite a moderately <laughs> serious alert as well. Whilst Boris can't be asked to have a conversation with Vladimir about it because he's busy, busy trying to persuade his friends that lying is fine, and Olaf has promised to send some special hats and brave boy plasters to help out the Ukraine, but Xi is keen not to disturb his special sports day, how concerned, as a percentage, should Andy be that a massive war is about to break out? Uh, <laughs> please show your working. Uh, philosophy question uh, for you kids to uh, practice. Uh, ethics, schmethics, discuss. Uh, geography uh, now how far away is too far away to give a shit Uh, A. Ukraine B. Myanmar C. Afghanistan D. Xinjiang or E. All of the above and finally a politics question explain the current situation in British politics without using the phrases nothing but a withered husk sad parody of a functioning democracy and is unfortunately governed by a bunch of incompetent and shameless Uh, Also in the bin this week, we have a commemorative football transfer window section. The English Premier League has announced that despite an increase in the number of transfers during uh, this January transfer window, it has still broken its existing record for fewest actual transfers per 1,000 transfer rumours. The FA's chief hypostician, (laughs) Kevin Xenophon Snudgett, explained the previous record was 0.93 transfers per 1,000 rumours set in the unforgettable 2017 window. But with an increased investment in groundless piffledge, we managed to bring that down to just 0.68 per per thousand this year. We remain on course for having an entirely imagined transfer window by the 2033-34 season. Uh, That section also in the bin. Top story this week, and well, as I said at the start, if you're listening to this week's Bugle in the United Kingdom, and you can hear some strange sounds in the background, it could be one of a number of things. If you hear a whirring sound, that's probably millions and millions of people spinning in their graves at what this country has become. (laughs) If you hear a scraping sound, that could be the ghosts of the war dead scrubbing Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg's metaphorical urine off the cenotaph. If you hear a coughing, ironically a new and persistent cough, that is, everyone in the country with a functioning memory who endured the privations of COVID, whether or not they thought they were right, who maybe saw loved ones die on a Zoom call, or uh, have seen their children's love of learning drain away through the drab functionality of remote learning, or who sat alone contemplating the bleakness of solitude, trying to at least draw a a blush of shame from the cheeks of the Prime Minister. And if you hear the popping of champagne corks, that's everyone in the country snapping out of that cough, thinking, great, we can run the, yeah, I made a bit of a mistake defence, let's get stuck into whatever the f*** we want to do. Uh, These truly are uh, strange times. Uh, Tiff, we finally had the Sue Gray report, the (laughs) much-awaited Sue Gray report, after... A prolonged investigation into all the parties held in Downing Street and Westminster and whether or not they broke the law. And it came up with nine pages of vagueness <laughs> because the Metropolitan Police had told Sue Gray not to include anything about all the things they're investigating. <laughs> so we're in this strange situation where we have a report that explicitly found a lack of leadership in Downing Street, which is now viewed to have shored up Boris Johnson's leadership. We have criminal investigations into actions at the heart of government that are viewed to have saved the Prime Minister's bacon. Uh, it, it, it's very hard to get your head around exactly what has been, what has been going on. I mean, you are 
the Bugles um, uh, cake and ethics correspondent. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if that's news to you or not. Uh, just explain what the f*** is going on. It's, it's, I, listen, you said the Sue Gray report, Andy, but it's actually the Sue Gray teaser report. <laughs> you know, like when someone drops a track before releasing the whole album and you're like, mate, Sue Gray's on Spotify for a couple of bangers. Can't wait, can't wait for the full album to be released. I mean, she's carried out interviews with over 70 individuals. It says some more than once examined relevant documentary and digital documentary and digital information, emails, WhatsApp messages, text messages, uh, photographs, building entry and exit logs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, shortly after the report, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, firstly, I want to say sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right. Also, sorry for the way this matter has been handled. He's that guy you really wanted to date in your 20s, weeing all over the place. He's we. (laughs) We didn't get it right. We made mistakes. There's no personal accountability whatsoever about the fact that, you know, you set the rules in the highest position, the highest office in the land, you set the rules and repeatedly broke them whilst expecting us to follow them. And then, for some reason yesterday, he brought Jimmy Savile in. <laughs> um, and and no one knows why, uh, presumably waiting for Rees Mogg to say, now then, now then, uh, which is a, a phrase they share in the in the Commons and Jimmy Savile. But... Um, <laughs> The kind of what about we were all hoping for, weren't we? You know, he said that Starmer failed to prosecute Jimmy Savile, which is incorrect, but who cares about facts when you can base policies <laughs> and debate off memes? Um, and the, the Rees Mogg, so here's, here's what's happened here, right? I believe this uh, strategy is what they call the dead cat debate, which is, um, I'm going to blame Australia for this, Alice, uh, because it was Boris's political strategist, Linton Crosby, um, who who brought this technique to Boris. Now, you can't... The problem with this is the tactics don't work when you've been gloating about them for years. Like, so he's basically on record of saying about Crosby, uh, his advice was, there's one thing that's absolutely certain about throwing a dead cat on the dining room table. I don't mean that people will be outraged, alarmed and disgusted. That's true, but irrelevant. The key point, says my Australian friend, is that everyone will shout, geez, mate, there's a dead cat on the table. In other <laughs> words, they'll be talking about the dead cat, the thing you want them to talk about, and they will not be talking about the issue that has been causing you so much grief. So he's thrown a dead cat. It's an expired feline in a gold tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's getting Reesmog to point and laugh at it and is hoping that that means we'll all just look at this dead cat in the middle of the commons and completely ignore the fact that he repeatedly broke the rules. Sue Gray's report, as you, as you mentioned, after all the people she she spoke to, it ended up with a nine-page report. Well, it was a 12-page report, but three of the pages were blank. And, and she's handed over 300 photographs and 500 documents to the police. And so we've ended up with nine pages of splodged out, redacted, despecificated, forcibly dissembled generalities. But reading between the lines, there is a simple message, and that message is, a country which keeps this man as Prime Minister is an idiot, and a party which keeps him as its leader is a stone-cold, irre- irretrievable shithead. Um, but I don't think they ha- call so, themselves so a party now- anymore, they just call themselves a workplace <laughs> function. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the police have said this investigation will take, brace yourselves, listeners, Less than a year. Uh, this is the same police who were ignoring these things for over a year. Uh, it is such a bafflingly uh, unsatisfactory 
state uh, of affairs and you know, the, the Conservatives have sort of rallied round uh, Johnson. I mean, he said he will publish the full Sue Gray report after the police have finished their less than a year long investigation, by which time on the current moral trajectory of the government will probably look back on this as an ethical golden age uh, compared to whatever depth they're plumbing. I don't know if they'll just be drowning children in barrels in the, in the, in the <laughs> House of Commons. Um, so they're now relying on the law of democratic amnesia by which voters gradually forget betrayals, incompetences and political delinquencies perpetrated on them. And sort of working out that complicated electoral equation, the radioactive half-life of Boris Johnson's failings and fumblings and currently apparently deciding it's okay but I mean, this is this is what we are as a nation now this this is all we have so uh, there's been a lot of uh argument from johnson's i don't know what the term is enablers um <laughs> supporters saying oh it's just cake you, you need to get it in perspective uh connor burns the government minister said he was ambushed with a cake um <laughs> I don't know, kind of Julius Caesar, et tu frutte. Um, uh, colleagues have sprung to, uh, to Johnson's defence, claiming he'd had bad advice. Um, but that's slightly... Uh, the, the thing with being Prime Minister is you get advice and you have to act on it um, and make your decisions. He said he had bad advice. Also, he was feeling a bit tired because he hadn't had his nap and he just watched the film Purge, where crime is legal for one day a year and was a bit confused, so we need to... Cut in some slack. I mean, this is not so much one rule for, for for some and another rule for another. There's no rules for us and a motherload of deeply restrictive and often baffling laws for everyone else. And yet, there's still it, it, it just it just I cannot understand how he's still in in his job. It seems. I mean, it's I'm trying to explain this to my children, and you know, we sort of told to you know learn about British values and the you know, the wonders of democracy and there's just there's, there's just no way I could, all I can say is uh there's can we watch the sport instead that that's the only possible how many votes of no confidence does it take to change a light bulb yeah is it is it like 57 or something votes oh, I, of... I think they need 54 letters to the 1922 committee right um, which yeah right. I mean look it Buglers, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what we're talking about, uh, in order to unseat a Prime Minister, there needs to be 54 written letters to a committee called, uh, named after the year uh, that its members want to return Britain to. Uh, that sort of tells you everything you need to know about our democracy. At last 54 week... letters for no confidence. And for yeah. me, it's just wearing my hair up. <laughs> that will that will immediately reduce my confidence. Um a Tory MP Edward Lee uh, said uh, last week, when Europe stands on the brink of war and there's a cost of living crisis, can we please have a sense of proportion over the Prime Minister being given a piece of cake in his own office by his own staff, which won him the Jacob Rees-Mogg Memorial Gold Award for willfully misrepresenting <laughs> the issue at hand. I mean, the yeah, but Ukraine defence just does not stand up for a start. Also, the cost of living crisis is in large part due to the government's own actions over not one, not two, but almost 12 years now. So asking people to concentrate on that rather than the cake is rather like Al Capone's lawyer saying, forget about the tax thing, let's focus in on the gangland slayings, please. <laughs> because this is about cake. In the same way that the criticism of Neville Chamberlain was about his liking for scrappy little pieces of paper as his preferred form of stationery. It is <laughs> insane. <laughs> Remember, Andy, cake is not a real drug. <laughs> I mean, do you know what constitutes a party? I, I don't, Tiff, but I, I'm hoping 
you might have know someone who can explain that to me. Well, I've asked around, yeah. and uh, and it turns out that Scottish boyfriend uh, can explain a hing, and that hing is going to be per ease. <laughs> Here's how to ken if you're at a party or two. Like, if there's two of you, it's not a party. If there's six of you, it could be a party, unless you're related to them, in which case, it's not a party. If you're at a pub and there's loads of you, but you're all at separate tables, it's no a party. If there's loads of you, but it's during the day, it's no a party. If there's loads of you and it's during the day and you're at work, but you're all drunk, then it's a party. <laughs> Unless none of you can that anybody else is drunk, because that's just a coping. That's just a coping strategy. <laughs> If there's a clown, it's definitely a party, unless it's at number 10. Unless it's at number 10, in which case it's just a day at the office. <laughs> if a party happens in the woods and Sue Gray is not there to write a report on it, did it really happen? <laughs> Likewise, if the only party you could go to was in the cabinet office, would you probably no still have mere fun sitting next to the Queen at a funeral? <laughs> well, that's made it all clear. I think that's quite succinct. Yeah, that's good. We, we all know where we stand legally and ethically now. Thank you very much. Last week, uh, to sort of highlight the nature of uh, the government, um, Theodore Agnew, who's the Minister for Anti-Corruption, stepped down live while speaking in the House of Lords. Um, and he said uh, that a combination of arrogance, indolence and ignorance was uh, freezing the government machine and stopping it from dealing with multi-billion pound fraud losses uh, resulting from COVID and uh, yeah, other, other sources. Yeah, he could afford all that alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, arrogant, ig- indolent and ignorant also um, three characters in the controversial new Disney adaptation of the Snow White story. Um, <laughs> and uh, also a, a review I once received for an Edinburgh Festival show. But... <laughs> But the the extent of COVID fraud is quite spectacular. Again, it sort of shows, again, what, what we've become as a nation under the ethical leadership that we have. Um, essentially, I mean, it was, they've just written off £4.3 billion of missing money from COVID grants, uh, which is money that is essentially stealing the pencils from our children's hands and the oxygen tanks from our wheezing grannies. A thousand companies received bounce-back COVID loans, despite the fact that they were not even trading at, at the time. And Agnew described this as a schoolboy error, uh, which I think is under... what well, A, it's giving schoolboys maybe slightly more uh, credit for their um, fraudulent skills uh, than <laughs> they deserve. Um, but also, schoolboy error is coincidentally Boris Johnson's Secret Service code name. Um, <laughs> Oh, I was just thinking that probably sounds like what he says when he climaxes. <laughs> Winter Olympics news now. And, well, we are just days away from the start of the 2022 Beijing uh, Olympics. Um, uh, the Olympics uh, actually have already been a success on one measure. In that there are rumours that Vladimir Putin was at least... Uh, decelerated in his uh, militarism and his uh, urge to invade Ukraine by Xi Jinping asking him not to do it while the Winter Olympics was on. So it's it's ironic, is it not, that the Winter Olympics have stopped things in the Ukraine going downhill very fast. Uh, <laughs> there. 
it's already <laughs> been a success. Uh, what, what are you most looking forward to in this uh, this uh, the, the Beijing Winter Olympics sports washing twice as white as uh, most Olympics? Well, Andy, I mean, the Winter Olympics is my favourite Olympics, otherwise known as the less good Olympics, the most lying down Olympics <laughs> and the one thing holding off the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, my favourite bit of this is that uh, China has accused the United States of paying athletes to create disturbances during the Beijing uh, Winter Olympics. So th- th- this is Chinese state media. This isn't just some conspiracy theory online. They, they, this is a, a, an incredible claim that they're going to sabotage the Olympics um, by playing, quote-unquote, playing passively or refusing to take part in competitions, which hasn't happened yet, let me be clear, or also expressing discontent toward China, uh, either subtly or overtly. So if if any athlete is coming out onto the field, I don't know, the Winter Olympics, onto the cold (laughs) bit, uh, looking less than entirely (laughs) satisfied, uh, it's going to be taken as an attack on China by America, which I think is pretty wild. On the subject of political proce- uh, protests by athletes, uh, athletes are under pressure not to rock the uh, extremely expensive propaganda boats. Uh, no political statements are allowed. IOC Olympic guidance says no form of advertising or other publicity is allowed in uh, Olympic sites, uh, and also their guidelines directly prohibit demonstration of political, religious, or racial propaganda in Olympic venues. Now, these it should be said that they that political, religious and racial propaganda are allowable at certain times of the Olympic cycle, for example, when appointing the host cities and then when flatly ignoring uh, the actions of the host nation in the years before, during and after the Olympics are held there. And you can sort of understand it from the IOC's point of view because the costs of hosting these events, uh, not just the Olympics, but World Cups, things like that, are rising and fewer and fewer cities and countries are willing to host them. So there's a great concern that if athletes' dissent is tolerated then the kind of regimes that are still prepared to pile billions of dollars into hosting events to massage their international reputations might then decide that having a load of unusable stadiums slowly rotting as a general approach to political short-termism is not the best way to spend their ethics laundering budget. So the very future (laughs) of the Olympics is is at stake. So don't complain. They're talking about purifying the internet as well, the purification of the internet. (laughs) In China a, before. Like, that is a big l- job. I think even <laughs> Hercules at his peak might have said, no, no, I'm out. I'm out on that one. Have you seen how much porn there is on there? <laughs> how much time do you have? We will have full exclusive coverage on the Winter Olympics uh, over the next uh, next couple of weeks. We are the only media outlet um, uh, allowed to report on them, apparently. Um, in other uh, winter news, the US East Coast has been um, hammered by a bombogenesis snowstorm, <laughs> which is one of those things that sounds a lot more fun than it is. Like Ebola. It sounds like, it um, <laughs> sounds like a youth pastor trying to bring people in on the coolness of the it's Bible. A, it does sound like a, a reggae album. Um, the bomber genesis. That's what I was laughing at the name rather than the effects, but it's a bomb cyclone, isn't it? Um, it's just quite American to give them such blockbuster names because <laughs> there was like the polar vortex at one point, wasn't there? But I do like the bombogenesis. One man against a storm that wouldn't quit. Bomb cyclone starring the rock and also a rock. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, there's the word treacherous is being thrown about with with abandon, which is always fun, isn't it? Well, when it That's comes to weather, tre- treacherous weather is weather that looks like it's fine and then stabs you in the back. So, for example, I would call today <laughs> in Sydney treacherous because you look out the window and you think, what a fine-looking day, and then you walk out and you're immediately wet. I cannot I cannot emphasize how wet I am right now. My knees are sweating, Andy. <laughs> My knees. Uh, at the other end of the cold, hot weather scale, um, global toastying, which is the new, more palatable phrase for uh, <laughs> global warming or end-time acceleration, could result in coffee, avocados and other celebrity comestibles being evicted from their current preferred growth regions, uh, coffee groves could soon be a common sight in the Arctic steppes, whilst penguins uh, will soon be living on a diet of cashew nut and avocado sandwiches if current projections are to be believed and then wildly exaggerated. Um, I mean, this is uh, this is a very concerning story. Uh, Alice, I know you're a massive avocado fan. I am. Um, uh, I've, uh, I'm... I have a sort of relationship of extreme dependency with coffee. Um, I mean, this 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 is very worrying for the world. And it's, I mean, this is the, this is the the sort of effect of global warming that I think will finally get people's attention. I mean, it's deeply worrying because what's going to happen is the places that are friendly for these crops will shift. So that currently, there you know, there's these places that are good for farming cashews, good for farming coffee, and those are becoming increasingly in. In, inhospitable and the crops will move up or down depending on which way uh, the weather that they like is going. But the problem with crops doing their own rotating is that all of a sudden coffee or cashews or avocados might arrive in your gentrified suburb and then blam, all of a sudden you're a cash like what Monsanto arrives and does a deal with you for the use of your backyard, offering you pennies on the dollar for economies of scale. <laughs> and within a few seasons, you've been chomped up and drained and exploited so hard that ambitious teenagers are vying to come build schools at you to pad out their resume. Like this is <laughs> the danger that I see before us all. What we need right. to do is salt the earth <laughs> around where we are. What's- Yes, I mean, that's a, uh, a slightly extreme solution. I mean, aside from the social and economic chaos caused by changes in the ecosystem and the money, the livelihoods of millions of agricultural workers, the more important question is, how the f*** will I get out of bed in the morning if the coffee crop fails? I mean, unless there is a test match on every day at 9am, I will effectively be bed-bound for the rest of my life <laughs> if if coffee fails because of global warming. I'm very worried about this. Yeah, uh, I like my, my men like I like my coffee. Burnt and in a service station. <laughs> Spotify news now, and uh, well, uh, wars uh, are much talked about these days, and there's been a, a full on war between um, podcaster uh, Joe Rogan and legends of music Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and others who've asked for their uh, music to be de Spotified. Uh, in protest at some of the uh, not entirely uh, 100% verifiable COVID claims made by Rogan on uh, on his podcast. Um, now, uh, it shows, I guess, you know, the the, the power of mu- music legends. Spotify have said that they will jump into action and have pledged to be seen to be vaguely doing something whilst not really taking responsibility for the material that they publish, sorry, not publish, uh, just kind of hang out with. Um, so, I mean, some change has been made. Uh, other, I mean, this has inspired other musical acts to uh, to try and create social change. The remaining members of Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch 
said that they will no longer allow their 1968 UK number one hit, The Legend of Xanadu, to be played anywhere until all polar bears are provided with a non-meltable artificial resin iceberg each. The 1980s Australian mullet rock legend John Farnham has pledged that his You're the Voice anthem will only be available to listen to raised two octaves until the full restoration of democracy in both Myanmar and the United Kingdom. So you know, it's inspiring musicians to, to realise the power uh, they have. Um, Alice, I'm not sure that you've ever been a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm sure it's merely a, ma- a matter of time. It brings up to date with this this story. Well, this is—I mean, this is an interesting story, Joe Rogan. I find it hard to condemn Joe Rogan because the problem with Joe Rogan isn't really Joe Rogan. Can I call him Joe, Mr. Rogan? I don't know. He seems like a nice enough comedy meathead who just happens to have lost 80 to 90% of his critical faculties in a tragic toxic spill at the masculinity factory. The problem <laughs> isn't Joseph, who's he's just a five foot seven bald comedian come fight commentator looking for the secrets of the universe in a series of hail fellow well-met, open-minded to the point of borderline fawning interviews with experts, self-proclaimed experts and quote-unquote experts. The problem with Joe Rogan... <laughs> is not Joe Rogan. The problem is the nature of modern platforms by which everyone is an unregulated publisher and there are no industry standards that would fine you for being a gullible twit with small man syndrome. Like, I don't <laughs> don't know what the solution is. Spotify has to put up content war- warnings. Do they put content warnings on Joe Rogan? Because I, I am going to be honest here, you have no idea how rock and roll a content warning for dangerous misinformation is to the kind of person who goes to Joe Rogan to curate their expert opinions. <laughs> Like, there's no win here. Uh, <laughs> um, I was reading an article on the BBC websites. Um, one of their journalists, Mariana Spring, um, said people trust their favourite podcasts and their hosts. Uh, oh, they are no. often a potentially effective vector for promoting disinformation. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with those words. Mariana, I've won many Oscars. On, on I've won Bugle. many, many Oscars. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure I'm in a, entirely a position as a uh, having been promoting disinformation for 15 years. <laughs> but I like to think, you know, a good kind of disinformation, the kind of disinformation that makes the world a better, happier place. <laughs> I uh, I prefer misinformation, which was also my beauty pageant entry. <laughs> it looks great on me in a sash. <laughs> well, Spotify's going with the, oh, we don't know, we just host this stuff uh, in that kind of YouTube and, and Facebook way, that, that content moderation is an impossible challenge. But, in fact, they are, you know, they literally bought and paid for and distribute the media properties that they are now disclaiming all knowledge of. So it's a little bit... <laughs> A little bit less um, believable. I, I, I'm reluctant to take on any kind of joke. Like I made like it like like the lightest little jab about hurricanes on here. I don't know if you remember. They got a <laughs> storm of kind of they they ran out of names for hurricanes, and we were talking about the fact they were going to have to go alpha beta. And I said hurricane alpha was taking testosterone and listening to Joe Rogan, and hurricane beta was drinking a soya latte and listening to NPR. So I think that's on both sides, like kind of little jab, uh, the type, an archetype of a listener, you know. And I just that like it was like days of it of like comments on the like how dare you go for Joe? So like I agree with with you, Alice. As it's not it's not necessarily Joe. It's you know sometimes the guest, but I do think banning stuff is a a bad move. I think if you want free speech then it must be able to flow stick some fact checking on it i don't know i don't know what the best answer is but i do think it's also quite easy for musicians to pull their music from the platform because let's be honest 
because none of them make any money from Spotify. <laughs> so that's quite an easy moral stance to take against some. I, I can do that against someone who doesn't pay me either. It's like me saying, guys, I'm pulling all of my movies from the View cinemas. <laughs> like, I'm fed up of this. Um, and I love Neil Young, but he was one of the people I Googled when I was researching how to come down from a massive high. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know how much of his own drug misinformation he's out there peddling well, was, uh, himself. There's also two, like, there's two major problems with this. First of all, uh, deplatforming Joe Rogan off Spotify will massively increase his audience again. Like going to Spotify, they had to pay him $100 million because he was going to take a cut in audience numbers. So in fact, we should keep him on Spotify and everyone else should leave. Uh, <laughs> and secondly, why are people going after Spotify? Like there's so many people leaving Spotify that their whole site shut down and you can no longer unregister from Spotify. Their site has frozen over this <laughs> not over the fact that they have massively exploited artists for the entirety of their existence and in this sort of weird like, oh, it's exposure, exposure is good, they can make up the money on touring and then a massive pandemic happens and they forget to mention that no one can tour anymore. I just, <laughs> why is this the thing? Joe Rogan being Joe Rogan isn't news. This is, this is Dog Bites Man and both Dog and Man and Joe Rogan on a mushroom trip. <laughs> Divorce news now. Um, Alice, uh, as uh, the Bugles' um, d- divorce correspondent, um, uh, there's uh, well, some exciting development in in the world of uh, in the world of um, relationship breakups. Yes, Andy, this is the heartwarmingly American story of a woman who has monetized the last frontier of human emotion by launching a divorce registry. Uh, so you know how you have baby registries and wedding registries. Uh, this is that. This is that way you write all the things that you you need post-divorce uh, and then your friends and family make up for your lack of foresight in marrying the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> as somebody who avoided like a baby shower and a baby registry, mainly by not announcing my pregnancy until about three weeks before I was due to give birth, I am torn. <laughs> I'm torn on the very idea of a registry. But How did your partner feel about that? to clarify i'm I'm not torn on registries in general in general like providing they do a central point to maintain records of useful things like that's that's what an actual registry the original blockchain if you will uh (laughs) and i probably will because every second startup is now like shoes but on the blockchain the point is (laughs) this woman has decided that divorce is a good thing it's a positive thing uh and we should celebrate it uh by asking our friends who probably bought us wedding presents to continue to buy us maybe a replica of the very same wedding present that you didn't have the courage to keep hold of in the messy disintegration of your previously existing spousal relationship. Right. So you can sort of buy the other half of a CD, for example. (laughs) I love... We can see when the last time you thought about getting divorced was, Andy. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to share a cd um, <laughs> um uh, that's one thing that modern technology has done it's just made that yeah. we'll just i'll send you a copy i'll download it um i d- the divorce registry get fucked i'm not buying you stuff twice if i already bought you stuff for the wedding i'm not buying it again that's insane my cousin one of my cousins got married four times uh, twice to the same woman but like by the time you turn up for the fourth wedding 
There's only so many times you can buy it, like you're turning up handing over a gravy boat through gritted teeth. Like, <laughs> are you taking the piss? The person who's running this divorce registry is a maniac. She got divorced at the age of 36 and the first thing she thought was, why isn't there a place, this is a quote, why isn't there a place that people can go and get product recommendations? <laughs> oh, well, that's kind of the logical end point of America, I think. <laughs> Legs news now, and, uh, well, a couple of very exciting developments in um, leg technology uh, in recent, uh, well, over the last week or so. Um, Ankle bracelets have been developed that tell you how drunk you are. Um, I mean, legs have always been quite useful in telling you how drunk you are based on whether you've just walked into something uh, or whether you're your your shoes are covered in sick. Um, but now they have a bracelet that can do that job for you. Alice. Your, your legs are uh, apart. Um, this is, yes, this is an ankle bracelet that can t- detect alcohol concentration from imperceptible amounts of sweat. So at least you'll know if your ankles are drunk. Uh, this is one of those studies <laughs> that I don't know how useful it is unless you are somebody who has a worrying problem and sufficiently worrying a problem and enough self-awareness to provide yourself with equipment, which is a very small Venn diagram overlap. Uh, <laughs> but it's also, I, I wonder that who, who these scientists are, as with all of these stories, in this instance, it's Robert Teresi, who's a professor of biobehavioral health at Penn State, uh, who said, alcohol misuse causes problems ranging from the annoyance of a mild hangover to the tragedy of premature death. Which is <laughs> that's a big scale. <laughs> yeah, that sentence, much like an evening out, went downhill extremely fast. Um, but so, uh, isn't it just an ankle tag? Don't these already exist? <laughs> if you're on like house arrest, I, I, I'm, I'm interested that it's Americans, Alice, because I do think they're obsessed with this. Because I work this out, like everyone that I meet in America is sober. That you meet them and they're like. Uh, are like, I've been sober for three years and then you find out they're 24 and you're like, oh, okay, like as soon as you're allowed to drink. And I worked out it's because they don't have health care. So like all the times I went to A&E in my 20s were drink related, <laughs> like things that I'd have because of drink, you know, like waking up um, on my bathroom floor, having snapped ligaments in my ankle going, oh, that was a harsh Tuesday. Um <laughs> And then getting it seen for free, just going into A&E. So I think the Americans have this like level of obsession and it makes sense, right? Because if you, you know, you can't, it's it's just too risky. Drinking is just too much of a risky business in America. Like the outcomes, you know, they're, they're obsessed with suing for everything. So I think people are, people are like more, um, and, and, and maybe American listeners can tell me whether or not I'm correct in my assumption that just drinking is a uh, you know is more of a thing is more of a studied phenomenon sadly the only people for whom this uh, alcohol measuring ankle bracelet will not work are the people who are already legless so <laughs> um uh in other legs news scientists have regrown frogs amputated legs after giving these frogs a cocktail of drugs now I mean, we talk a lot on the Bugle about uh, scientific experiments that maybe didn't entirely need to happen and wondering how they came. I mean, how did this bizarre experiment in which a cocktail of drugs resulted in legs regrowing 
come about. We we may never know. I mean, it's good news on a number of levels. It's good news for psychopathic frog owners who have a conscience who might <laughs> feel guilty at some point in the process. Uh, good news for French sustainable agriculture. <laughs> Basically makes makes it vegan. And uh, it is good news for medical science with the potential to regrow legs and, I guess, eventually other bits and bobs of the body. Um, it's... Uh, well, it came from the, well um, Andy, well. Right. I mean, they say that African clawed frogs, which are the claw- frogs on yep. which this experiment were done, are like humans uh, in this one important way in that they cannot regrow <laughs> lost limbs. So I'm not <laughs> sure that the crossover is going to be as seamless as we would like to hope. <laughs> well, as a second-generation lapsed Jew, uh, I mean, I'm quite <laughs> interested in, in, in this story in terms of being able to grow back missing bits of the body. But um, it's... <laughs> Uh, Sorry, just, why did it take me so long to get that joke? <laughs> just... it, 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 I mean, it's, it, it does, I just can't quite understand how, how they thought they thought of you know. Oh, well, let's chop some frogs' legs off and then see if we can make them. Make, make. I mean, is that is that is that science? What what kind of science? I mean, that's that's like a cross between I don't know, fifteenth century witchcraft and. 21st century science, which I think makes it 18th century religion. <laughs> um, salamanders can do this, can't they? Regrow, which is good news, actually, because, you know, this bombogenesis that we were talking yep. about earlier, um, it's hit Florida. So the temperatures are now getting so cold that lizards are freezing in trees and falling well. out. <laughs> Yeah, frozen gecko, great cocktail. Um, but yes, so it could be, it could be, you know, it could be that they're kind of going. The natural world is changing. We need to do some research. It says that they can't naturally regrow, but with this drug cocktail, they can. I don't know whether they had to put a, given them a cocktail of drugs encased in a silicon stump, so the drugs actually go on to the. It's quite, it's quite fascinating, guys. <laughs> don't know what I don't know what it means for me. That I spent a good few hours reading through. <laughs> uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Um, there will shortly follow some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers. Uh, to join them, uh, to make a one off or recurring contribution to uh, the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme, as go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Don't forget to book your tickets to my UK stand up tour, which begins now on the 25th of February. Uh, details on my uh, very soon to be updated website which will also include details of some gigs at the Soho Theatre in London in May I will be doing Satirist for Hire on the tour and at Soho so do submit your satirical requests if you're coming to the show to satirise this at satiristforhire.com anything to plug I will be in Adelaide from doing Kronos from the 1st of March to the 5th of March at the Rhino Room, I'll be in uh, Melbourne at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival uh, from the 31st of March to the 24th of April. I will be in Sydney from the 5th of May to the 8th of May and in Perth from the 13th of May to the 14th of May. That's just two days. And then I'll be uh, probably in London and then definitely in Edinburgh. So come see me somewhere in the world. Uh, find me at patreon.com slash Fraser. I'll plug Old Rope at the Comedy Store, 14th of February, uh, where we have some gargle peeps like Finn Taylor uh, on the bill. Um, I uh, will be doing new jokes at that. I have some previews coming up uh, for my new show, As a Woman Overthinketh, um, which will be... (laughs) 
Um, so if you want to check that out go onto my Twitter at Tiff Stevenson or my Instagram and I'll be posting about dates there um, and uh, yeah you can get all the information from those uh, you can also listen to the current series of the news because we're about halfway through uh, via the BBC Sounds app uh, until next week Buglers goodbye here are your lies Graham Ray thinks olden days people were really very strange. What's up with wanting to be buried with a load of toys, trinkets and weaponry? They're like little children insisting on having their favourite teddy bear before they go to bed. But these people aren't four or five years old. They're like 1,300 years old or 4,000 or whatever, and they ought to have grown out of it. I reckon maximum two souvenirs in case the afterlife is really boring, and no swords. You're just not going to need them, concludes Graham. On the subject of the afterlife, Kevin Smith does not like the idea of becoming a ghost. I reckon it would get pretty annoying pretty quickly, says Kevin. I mean, you might have the odd score to settle with a bit of haunting, but most of the people you're going to want to see after death are okay. But because of the bad rep that ghosts have, they're going to crap themselves if you so much as waft through an open door or make the cutlery rattle in the kitchen. It's likely to have an adverse impact on how fondly they remember you, so count me out of the optional ghost face, please. I'm just not interested. Seb Rose regrets that the internet was not invented several thousand years before it actually was. When you think back to things like witch trials, the Spanish Inquisition and the like, says Seb, really it was just the kind of stuff that people spout off in dodgy chat forums, vituperative social media accounts and below-the-line comments on newspaper articles these days. I mean, we all complain about them, but personally, I'd rather some anonymous loser call me something rude than be burned at the stake. Ed Alvin likes to think that the whizzing noise that sausages make when being cooked is them confessing to a series of sins committed whilst they were still a pig, or whatever animal they used to be. Humans have always loved a bit of a deathbed confession, says Ed, so I don't see why sausages shouldn't be the same, albeit there is a school of thought that suggests that sausages are already dead, of course. I don't know exactly what a sausage would confess to, continues Ed, but it would probably be something about oinking inappropriate comments to other pigs or betraying communist ideals for their own self-interest. And finally, Sarah Buchelman thinks cathedrals suffer from being geographically restricted to being in one place. You would think, says Sarah, with modern technology, you could have mobile cathedrals that zip around to where people need them most. I appreciate that. Back in the day, when it took 200-odd years to build the bloody things, that wasn't practical. But now, I reckon you could have a medium-sized collapsible twin-spire gothic cathedral up and down in 24 hours. I don't know if it would help, but it has to be worth a go, concludes Sarah. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss lime bikes. Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>